Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Dara returns home to reconnect with her husband, Danny and her young daughter, whom she left two years earlier. When she arrives, she discovers a woman who is seven months pregnant and has taken her place and that her daughter no longer recognizes her. Like a House on Fire tells the story of a woman's struggle to regain the life she left behind. The film is called Like a House on Fire, and we're joined today by the director and writer of the film, and that would be Jesse Noah Klein. Jesse, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks very much. Where did the story come from? What inspired you to write this? Well, a few things. I was in the midst of moving back home, much like Dara in the story. So I lived in the United States for six years, where I went to film school, and then I was teaching at a university. And uh, after my first feature called We're Still Together, I began to have this idea of this person coming home um, to find, you know, the life that they knew had gone and passed them had passed them by. And kind of the other side of it is, you know, I, I really felt that this story kind of begins and ends with Dara. And I've written a number of, of screenplays and made a, number, uh, a couple of films and you know, I have a new one on the way. Uh, but this one really began with the protagonist. I had a very clear sense of who Dara was and, and what she was going through and what moved her. And the story came from character. And that's not how I always write. Uh, I teach at a, a college here in Montreal, and I say that to my students, there's no, there's no magic way of doing anything, and there's no one way of doing something. And so for this one, uh, it very much started with Dara, and I guess I felt that she was a character that I hadn't seen before, someone strong and strong-willed, yet intensely flawed. And that was kind of really the, the genesis of how could I, what story would I like to tell uh, with this person? Dara is dealing with not only being away from her family for two years, but she's also dealing with a mental health issue that is a bit vague in terms of specifically what it is that and mm -hmm. what exactly happened to precipitate her departure. Mm -hmm. And in my estimation, watching the film, it, it lends this extra level of wondering what it is and pulling an audience into her story. Mm -hmm. Like you start trying to figure a little bit of detective work. What did happen? What is it that drove her to be, to be forced? Essentially, it sounds like forced to leave her mm -hmm. family. And I do think that that is sort of a, a film cinematic device to pull me into the story. I get more invested in trying to figure out that part, waiting for a reveal in mm -hmm. terms of the story. So I thought that part was, a, just an ex exceptionally good way to bring me closer and closer to Dara and her her what what she is, and this is no small part of the film. Uh, Sarah Sutherland, who plays Dara in the film, is just remarkable in her ability to project this frailty, but as you said, she's also strong-willed because it would have taken an amazing amount of courage and determination to go back the way she does in the in the story. So I, I, I sort of laid out a lot there, but am I on the right 
track here in terms of describing the story and her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, you know, to respond to the first thing that you said, there's kind of a duality in the sense that in the research that I did, namely about postpartum depression specifically with medical professionals and those who've gone through it, that's kind of the the ghost that hangs over the film, but it it is a ghost that goes unnamed. And so in all the ways I found uh, I was myself willful in not defining it on screen in exactly the opposing way, Sarah and I were hyper-specific about how we planned it. So, you know, once she was cast, we really built the backstory together. Like I said, I did that research myself, but then we really, you know, each of those days of those two years Sarah and I had a very specific and exact sense of would she be in a halfway house at this point? Would she have been hospitalized at this point? And that really kind of anchors her backstory. And all of that comes to, for for me, and I I think you touched on this, I don't think you need to be explicit about it because it comes through in the performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that in kind of making it a postpartum depression film, I think it would kind of undermine almost where Sarah is and where the Derek character is at that point of the story, because she's someone who suffered from mental illness throughout her life, yeah. uh, depression and anxiety. And the birth of, um, of Isabel kind of triggers something which sets off this postpartum depression. But the film is very much, though the past lingers, it's firmly set in the present. Yeah. It's set in, she's back, you know, where she's from, and she's trying to regain that which she's lost. For all the ways in which we were very specific in our and meticulous in our planning, we wanted to really focus the film in the present of Dara coming back and what those days were like. Yeah. And there is a story that she tells near the end of the film that is more specific about what we're talking about. And it is done it is such a, it in some ways a simple explanation for something that I certainly have never given the kind of weight, but, but hearing the way she tells being handed her baby sort of puts it in very stark terms. Mm-hmm. And I, as, a, as something that was, it would so radically change someone's life and mm-hmm. to understand in that moment, how just that's the moment when I, I know that anyone it it's, it's a life altering moment. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it's, there's so many things about the film. It's a quiet film, but there's so much, tension in these different relationships as they evolve so danny played by jared abrahamson is the is her husband mm-hmm. yeah, estranged husband yeah estranged husband and then uh the woman who is uh his now he's living with and we mentioned seven mm-hmm. months pregnant mm-hmm. all of these performances are so carefully calibrated and so honest you don't see this kind of honesty in, on uh, in film very often and so i just want to applaud you for your ability to not only cast the right people but also to be able to essentially give them the space to create these characters then i just again sort of to your to your process what space are you giving them what are you telling these different very important characters in how they go about their performance you know the, there's never enough time when you're making a film uh, unless it's a very very big film i suppose but you know there was definitely conversations had with dominique who plays therese and uh jared who plays danny and with jared you know it is it's such a pivotal role there was 
quite a number of conversations. And he came up to North Bay uh, before we made the film and he, Sarah and I hung out and we talked through things. You know, for both of them, I guess what I would say for, for Jared's character, one thing that we talked about was at the beginning of the movie, the door is closed. And over the course of the story, the door opens little by little by little for Dara. And, you know, it's not in the way that she would hope. That door firmly closes halfway through the film. But, you know, ultimately their, their relationship, there's so much tenderness. I mean, they have a child together that despite the anger and despite the resentment, there's an underlying love there. Yeah. And similarly, uh, you know, I, it really would have been too, too easy to kind of cast and, and direct Therese as like the new woman, you know, the new woman with the chip on her shoulder. And I really wanted to get away from that stereotype um, and, and cliche, frankly. And, you know, I really, Dom, Dominique, who does, you know, I think she does a great job in the film. We talked a lot about that and how she has her own agency and she's very conflicted because on the one hand, she's rooting for Dara. You know, she, she understands this is just a very difficult situation. And so she doesn't want to cause Dara harm. On the other hand, seven months pregnant, she has to stake claim to what's hers. So I, think, I do think that Dominique was very successful in showing that, that tension, caring for Dara, but also protecting what is, what is also her own family. Again, there's some very powerful scenes uh, being played out between between all of them, between Danny, Therese, and uh, Dara, in, in terms of exactly. And everyone has a legitimate point of view. Everyone is everyone in their own way is right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dara is right to say, I'm back and I'm better. And mm-hmm. I I am, I want to be, I want to be a mom again. I want to be a wife again. And Therese has every right to say, I'm here. Let's talk a little bit about the performances or just in terms of uh, Sarah. Obviously, a lot of people will know her. Sarah Sutherland will know her from Veep. She played the daughter uh, of Selena Meyer and a more funny, biting, satirical series. I'd be hard pressed to name anyone that anyone that was better than Veep in terms of just and sort of the tone, the nastiness of it, the sort of the relentlessly cynical aspects of it and and she's in it and she's in it as the daughter and she she's all of that but in this she is vulnerable and strong Uh, just in terms just sarah jared and uh, dominique let's talk about jared because he it's a very interesting character he plays he's a very direct actor at least this character is very direct you know and and in a but in a non-threatening sort of way at least that's how he came across to me tell me a little bit about him and his jared is um, I'd seen him in a film, a friend of mine directed a film called Hello Destroyer, uh, a director named Kevin Funk. And, you know, Canada's pretty small, <laughs> to, be, to be frank. And so, yeah, Jared is a known actor in Canada, absolutely. You know, he really has on the surface, uh, perhaps one could say a gruffness, but then there's an underlying softness there. And to me, that was exactly the kind of duality again that was needed for Danny. Because, you know, as I said before, he's really angry. And in certain ways, he has the right to be because, you know, this was a decision that was made with zero consultation and that really left him in a very difficult and precarious position. And so, you know, I, I think Jared really brought that the right mixture of that, that gruffness at the beginning of the film where he's really, at times he can be harsh, 
but there's an underlying softness there. And, you know, I think in, in a later scene um, that takes place after the birthday party, you really see that kind of breaking down and you see how conflicted he is in himself. And yeah, so I, I think Jared really brings all of himself to the role and, the, you know, makes it, you know, multifaceted and, and ultimately successful. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Jesse Noah Klein. He's the director and writer of a film called Like a House on Fire. And if people want to find out more about it, how can, uh, how can we do that? Well, to the best of my knowledge, it's coming out on VOD on March 30th in Canada, the U.S. and the U.K. So very soon it will be available across this continent. And I'm really excited for people to watch it. The film is also about... I mean, obviously about family, we, we see uh, Dara's father, he's in, a, he's in a relationship. It seems like everyone has moved on in, in ways that um, <clears throat> are continually, unintentionally cruel to her, to her plight. And they seem, they seem to have lost, I don't know, patience with her. There's, there's a certain perspective about her that everyone's waiting for her to fall off a cliff, essentially, in, in her emotional state. But we also have a backstory that has to do with her own family. And in many of these same issues echo from her own family. For me, watching her, the father, he seemed um, weak and unable to deal with her return and in very real ways and unwilling to kind of confront what she, what Dara seems willing to confront. She wants to, she's eager to, to get past all of this. And this is where her, I think her strength as a character comes in. She's willing to confront some of these things and talk about them honestly. And he seems very, very reticent to do so. This whole dynamic of not only her relationship with her, her husband, but with her family, she's in the middle of all of this. It's a beautiful kind of continuity of the story, of the way that the story is told, and it gives it so much more depth. Again, congratulations to you on that. But, <laughs> but I, I also think that this echoes real life, that we tend mm-hmm. to repeat many of the familial issues over and over again. Yeah, that, that itself, that's the heart of the, the film. Is Dara able to break the cycle? You know, what looms over her as well as you know I said before her postpartum is her mother so you know in the film her mother left when she was four it's not even explicitly stated exactly what you know what year but she has no relationship with her estranged mother when that kind of you know comes through the narrative as we move forwards and you know it's 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 similar but not the same her relationship with her father he's unable to address the trauma in their lives and the way he's been able to cope with it is to move forwards. And he started a new family with, you know, a new woman and a child, refuses, is phobic of looking backward and talking about things which are ultimately just too painful. What he and Dara ultimately come to terms with and learn over the course of the film is that the only way to move forward is to is to address that past trauma. And so that, you know, while at the beginning of the film, and certainly there's a, a heated exchange between them around halfway through, you know, that door feels, you know, completely closed. Ultimately, as the film wears on, even the father, uh, whose name is Jack, he, he comes to realize that he too has to acknowledge his role in all of this, not, you know, throughout Dara's whole life. So over the last, you know, 30 or so years. And again, 
This is something that rings so true about the film and about life is that we know what we know. We act on things we know, we recognize. Generally speaking, human beings do this. This is what we're sort of wired to do, to go to the thing that looks most familiar to us, at least in the development of our, our most people, not everyone, mm-hmm. obviously. But, and that's what feels so magnetic about this story and about all of the different elements that you're brought, brought into it. So congrats. I want to talk about the, the, a little bit about the, uh, the technical side of things. Sure. It's, uh, as I said, it's quiet film. Sound is important to the film, but it's, it's sparing in, mm-hmm. in, in, in how you use sound in the film. The cinematography is also very intimate. I'll talk about those two elements in terms of, by the way, one quick, one quick trivia question. Was, was that a Cocteau Twins song that I Yeah, made? Cherry Colored Funk. Yeah, that's from Fort Calendar, I believe. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm a fan. I just I had to get that in. I, I was I I know that. But anyway, sure. Yeah, no, I, I love Cocteau Twins, and that uh, scene, oh. that music felt very much like what Jordan would listen to. So yeah, that's how that's how we went about choosing. Well, choosing. and also the thing with Cocteau Twins, it's a made up language, generally speaking, mm-hmm. that they they use they use they don't even know if it's a language, and so yes, it would be appropriate for there to be listening to something that's so undefined. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I feel you. Absolutely. Yeah. The music, um, the music is sparse. The score is sparse. You know, the, the way that we approach the film and, you know, my next film likely won't be approached in the same manner, because as I said about how I went into the writing, it's the same way as how I went into how I thought of the film aesthetically. It's just so first person. Yeah. It's such a first person film. And I really felt like it was important that we be close to Dara basically throughout. Uh, and that, you know, she is, if she's not offered reprieve, we're not offered reprieve. So, you know, there's some elements, there's a few times where sound design is used in a creative or cinematic way at the beginning when she goes to the door to, you know, and ultimately panics. Later in the film, when something bad happens, uh, where there's no sound in the film, for it's the one time in the film where that's done. So yeah, it was important to always approach how to tell the story cinematically from Dara's perspective. So that's why it's told largely in close-up, unless we really feel like, oh, we should be distant from her in that moment and we should be giving her space. Yeah, it's beautiful. And your cinematographer, Ariel Mateau, who I just thought it was beautiful. And it, there are times when it, it, it just looks almost like a documentary in terms it's a little bit grainy at times. It just mm. feels like a very raw sort of feel for her and, and mm. for the entire film. But there's a very uh, there's a rawness to it. Yeah, it really it's it's quite unadorned. And it was really like we're just going to stay with her, you know, when Dara's in the car we're not mounted on a hood looking back at her. We're next to her in this car and we're feeling, you know, inches away from her face, what it is she's going through. There's certainly a couple moments in, in when she's driving that are really pivotal moments emotionally for her. Yeah. And it was important for me to, to kind of create that intimacy. Well, you, you mentioned the film is coming out on March 30th in Canada, the United States, North America, the continent of... <laughs> And I am so looking forward to the reaction uh, f- to the film from film lovers. I just, I feel like, and I'm so happy for Sarah. I'm so, if you were, you know, if you were to draw up a schematic of your career and, you know, sort of busting out of the the Veep orbit, mm-hmm. I feel like she's she's achieved uh, 
the, the proper velocity to get away from that. Yeah. You mentioned that before, you know, I'm, it's not how I kind of came to Sarah, but like many people, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Veep. I mean, it's just one of the, one of the greatest comedies on, on television of all time. And, you know, it's, I think for Sarah, she probably did see this as an opportunity and a departure and wanting to do something which was largely unlike, you know, what she had done before. And, you know, ultimately I think together she and I were just able to, to craft this character that ultimately feels really human. I really hope she she finds you know what she is looking for in terms of her career because yeah this is just such a great performance on her part and uh, especially as the film gets into the the last third and when she starts to find her footing mm-hmm. you know and I I just feel like you know my hat's off to her and it's a, just a great performance so yeah for sure well well Jesse Noah Klein thank you Thank you so much for the film Like a House on Fire. I look forward. I hope you'll come back sometime when you have another project ready for the world. And uh, March 30th, look for this uh, Like a House on Fire. Thank you, Jesse. Absolutely. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music